today is Matthew 7, verses 13 through 23. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Their fruit you will recognize. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. All right, what's going on? Hey, congratulations, you survived Florida winter. If we go up one... Hey, we just went up to 50 degrees. Now our iguanas can resume mobility. And our, apparently, gators can come out of the ice. So, um, glad you're here. And uh, the place was cold before you got here. Now it's warm. And I like it. That's good. Um, So, um, believe it or not, the Sermon on the Mount is over. Um, That was the end of it. Our last passage. And uh, I just totally forgot to mention that. But... um, Here's the thing. Okay, so if you were here for the very first um, sermon I did on the Sermon on the Mount, there was the way Matthew introduces it. He says, Jesus sat down and began to teach them. And the words that he uses is like, it's not this past tense one time. It's an, it's an active um, Greek word that he uses. And the phrase that he uses basically is a rabbinical way of saying, um, these are the teachings of Jesus. The entirety of Jesus' ministry All of the things that he wanted his followers to know, that he taught his 12 disciples and the 72 disciples around them and the 500 disciples around them, these are the things that he taught them, all condensed into cliff notes into two chapters, Matthew 5 through 7. These these should be known and understood by all followers of Jesus. They should be read over and over and over again. Um, And they should be read in context. They should be studied and picked apart and fully understood. Um, And so now that he wraps up this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, You come to the end of it, and he has three warnings for all of us. And those three warnings are held here, and then there is like an ending, like a sort of a a bookend that he sticks on there. So you have the introduction, and then you have the bookend. Um, Next week is the bookend. This is the final sort of postscript three warnings that you have to know about the Sermon on the Mount. And then there's this ending. So the first... First, there's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the teachings. It's the definitive teachings of Jesus. Then Matthew separates it into the second half, which is the definitive actions of Jesus, the things that Jesus did. So we have the things that Jesus taught, and then we have the things that Jesus did, and there's this really cool literary device that he throws right in the middle of all of it, and it's amazing. And I'm not going to tell you what it is this morning. That's going to be another day. So um, I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into this and look at the three warnings and uh, look at some practical uses and some spiritual um, understanding of all of this um, and look at the early church and how they applied this. So let us pray, shall we? Father, thank you for this place and these people. Guide us. Uh, First, I ask that you would allow us to be present, to be here. We all have problems and fears and struggles 
illnesses and, and some of us are scared of losing loved ones and some of us are, are dealing with um, really heavy things and I ask that right now you would allow us um, to affirm that those things all exist but then to push them aside and be present. Let us uh, take a moment and be still. Understand that we are loved, that we are accepted, that um, there's nothing that we could do to cause us to be loved more or less. And first, let us receive that and let that start to heal us. Um, And from then, from that point on, Lord, teach us uh, what this means for our life. How are we to respond to this love? How are we to build community around it? How are we to uh, worship the giver of it? How are we to practice it in public? Thank you, Father. Change us, make us whole. Speak through me, allow me to remember the things I've studied. In your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start right here. Um, Enter through the narrow gate. There's going to be some clicking and popping on my pack. I think I broke it this morning. That's what I do. I break stuff, I break projectors. Oh, sorry. If it, gets, if it gets, I'm just adjusting. If it gets bad, I'm just going to grab the, that one right over here. Okay? I don't see. I can't do that move. Okay. Now, let's remember, don't do the move. Now, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Uh, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. Now, um, first things to understand... There is this ancient Hebrew word um, for walk, and that word is chalak. Everyone, everyone with a ch, everyone say chalak. Very good. Um, chalak, the name for walking, is also the same word that is used for morality in the ancient Hebrew mind. Um, it is a way to live, a way to move. It speaks of destination. You're going somewhere, and this is how you get there. The thing that we're moving towards, the thing we're trying to build, this is the path. How are we going to get there? We're going to halak in this way. We're going to live in this particular way. Um, Once you see this, you'll see it all through scriptures. You'll see Jesus himself talking about, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That way is the same idea. It's the path. Um, The ancient Jewish people always talked about Um, the law, the way that they would follow the laws was their way. It was their path. It was what led them to the kingdom. Um, And so Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Now, those words are going to come up here in today's passage. Um, It talks about a way and it talks about receiving life. Um, And so the word walking is the word halak, which means morality. Now, um, so there are two gates that Jesus talks about. Hey, why don't I go ahead and kill this and grab that guy? Yeah? Do you sound guy approved? All right. Check. Oh, hello. All right. I always wanted to try stand-up comedy. You know. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Um, all right. Psalm 119 takes this and runs with it. Uh, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, whose ways, whose paths are blameless, whose morality, they're walking in a way and living in a way that is blameless. Um, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him. All of this has to do with movement. You're going somewhere. Seek him with all their heart. Um, they do no wrong, but follow his ways. So the opposite of doing wrong is walking in his ways. Okay? So um, 
All of this speaks of destination. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, how did you get there? How did you get sober? How did you lose the weight? How did you build this thing? How did you um, kick the habit? How did you get out of debt? How did you? How did you? That is a question about destination. How did you get there? And notice we use the word, the phrase get. Get, like they, they're standing right here, but how did you get there? In other words, there's this philosophical idea of like there's a path, and they're asking you what is the path that you walked down to get here, okay? Um, and then they would proceed to tell you, I did this, and then this, and then this, and there's an order, and there's a flow, there's movement. That is what Jesus is doing here. He talks about two gates. Gates are destinations. They are um, the thing that when they open, they let you into the place you're going. Um, and he talks about two gates, two separate destinations. Um, and when Jesus talks about gates in the first century, um, one of the important things to ask when you're reading the scriptures is, number one, why did they keep this? Why is this important? Why was this written down? Second, um, what would the early readers have thought? Believe it or not, the Bible wasn't, don't take this the wrong way, it wasn't necessarily written to you. There was an audience. Uh, they didn't, there was no such thing as America or 21st century. Um, they, there was an audience that this, this specific writing was meant for. What were they thinking when they heard this? And so we study their ancient writings and we find out their mindset as close as we can. Um, <clears throat> first century, Matthew's audience, Jesus stands up and Jesus says, there are two gates. When they think of gates, they're not thinking of little rattly, little rickety, little fences. They're thinking of cities. They're thinking of Jerusalem. They're thinking of the city of David, their most important city that exists. And they're thinking of, yes, okay, we have a gate in mind. And he says, there's two gates. There's one that's really big, and a lot of people enter through it. There are gates on the city of Jerusalem that are still standing, many of them, and today they're big enough for cars and buses to drive through. There are very large gates, and the majority of people, as Jesus says, enter through those gates. There are specific gates that everyone goes through. And then there are these other gates, these small ones. And you kind of have to know where they are. And oftentimes you have to climb stairs to get there. Oftentimes the door is very small and only one person can fit through the door at a time. Jesus has both of these gates in mind and he wants you to have them in your mind and he wants you to picture them. And then he tells you what is on um, the other side of these gates. Enter through the narrow gate, the small one. It's hard to get to. Um, if, if you're handicapped or elderly, you, you might need some help. You might have to wait your turn. You might have to be patient. It might be difficult to get through. Um, but that's the one you need to go through, Jesus says. Um, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. They're, the gates that everyone else is entering through, the ones that everyone's piling in and just going with the flow, that you don't have to think about, they know where they are. Everyone's going through them. The people going, the majority of people are going through those gates. You know what's on the other side of that gate? Destruction. And he says, but, the, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, first I'm going to talk about the practical applications of this. Normally I would kind of do this towards the end. And then we're going to step over here. We're going to, we're going to talk about the spiritual applications of this. Um, and we're going to go a different direction. First off though, um, gates, again, they're destinations. How did you get where you are? If all of us were to ask that question of ourselves or ask each other that question, um, we have an answer. Maybe you're not happy with where you are. Maybe you've kind of made a wreck of things. Um, maybe, maybe you've conquered some stuff. 
but you're at a destination and you got where you are by choosing a specific path that led you to where you are. And you know what that path is. And either you can encourage people to take your path or you can encourage people to do not do what I did. Um, there is a very large path that most people are on. And that path, according to Jesus, leads to destruction. The word for destruction is this word, it's a Greek word, apoleia. Everyone, apoleia. It's kind of, actually, it's kind of apoleia, but it doesn't matter. Um, So the word here really means smashed, broken, destroyed. It's what children do, in my house at least. Break things, smashed things, broken things. Um, Most people are breaking things in their life. Most people are. Um, Most people will choose to do things that are easy, the things that most people are doing. They will do exactly the same thing as as the vast majority of people are doing. Um, And we should not be surprised that most people, most most marriages fail. Most, Most of us are overweight. Most of us are in debt. Most of us um, have divorced friends from our lives, right? Like, like we used to call it a dude divorce. We do divorced. Um, and like, they're just not, most of us have broken relationships. Um, and it's not, most people will choose to do things the easy way, and so most of them will end up in painful, destructive situations with lots and lots of broken things in their life. Um, loneliness, addiction, broken relationships, failed marriages, estrangement from their children, um, tarnished identity, lack of joy. Um, most of us eat too much. Most of us drink too much. Most of us watch way too much television and read far too few books. Most of us are um, wildly ignorant about biblical things. Most of us are wildly ignorant about everyday things that we should know about if we would take the time to study and understand them. But we're, we don't because it's easier not to. Easy is the path. Wide is the gate. And you know what? I don't feel bad about it because everyone else is on this path. Well, that path leads to, just to broken things. And the longer you stay on this path, the more broken things you're going to have in your life. Um... It is not surprising when we find broken things. It's actually more surprising when we find people that have got their stuff together. I'm like, wow, you, you got it together. Look at you. Go to the doctor. They're the same age as you. Oh, I went to school and everything. Got a degree, doctor's degree and everything. Look at you. Look at me. Look at you. Like, this is what we think. Most of the time, we... You meet people and you're like, and how old are you? Oh, you're younger. Okay. <laughs> Tell me, I don't want to know the path. It's all, I know what the path is. It's the same reason I don't do CrossFit every day. <laughs> I actively don't. I would love to look like I do. And you see it and you're like, wow, what did you do? You must have one of those metabolisms. Well, I spend most of my day climbing ropes and flipping giant tires. Uh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> It's not, um, that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what most people do, which is not that. Um, but if I did, you know what I would find? I would find a very narrow gate and like reward and like life. 
that, I, that I'm actively not doing every single day. There's these things, that's a placeholder for tons of things, that I'm not doing every single day. And most of us are not. Um, and this is precisely why Jesus says, few will find the small gate, because the path is hard. Um, the small gate is where life is found. It sits at the end of a very long road. Again, the gates are the destinations. It sits at the end of a very long road. Most people don't get sober. The ones who do. When they get to that gate, they can look back and they can say, that that path was long and that path was hard. It was really difficult. Most people aren't married for 50 years. And we're surprised when we meet them. And we always ask, what's the secret? There's not like a secret. It's a daily battle. It's a constant just pushing and fighting for what you want every single day. Most people, um, don't, most people don't struggle enough. They don't push themselves far enough. They don't bother. And so we have lots and lots of broken things in our life. It's just what we have. And we've cho- we choose it every day. Um, To those of you who have entered in that gate, those of you who, who had children that you were estranged from, that you refused to give up on, you kept chasing in their teen years when they were as difficult and you're fighting and you're arguing and it's just wild. And you pushed through and you kept pushing and you kept loving, you kept act, act, actively moving towards them. And here you are, 15 years later, and your relationship is good. Or you're sober. Or you built that thing. You did it. Congratulations. You, you found the small gate. Most people don't. Most people don't. And so then, um, that's the practical application. And then we have this spiritual application. And if you ask, I mean, if, I'll just say myself. If you were to ask me when I was 20, 21 years old, um, studying a, a particular sort of brand of, of Christianity, of reading the scriptures, and you would ask me, what does this passage mean? I would have said, well, what it basically is saying is that most people go to a bad place, and only a few of us will go to the good place. Um, and that's how I would interpret this verse. And there's lots of people that interpret that. Maybe some of you interpret it that way. Um, what I have come to find, however is that the vast majority of Christians throughout history have always believed that there is actually life before death. Believe it or not. And I didn't necessarily believe that. I thought the job was to escape and fly away. Abandonment, let it all die. Um, Turns out, Jesus came so that you could have life abundantly now. And every single thing that Jesus said is applicable to you right now in your life. Right now you are at a crossroads. Every single day you're at a crossroads. And the way that, the way that you handle your day today is part of the determining factor of the gate that you will find. The decisions that you make this very day. Um, if you were to ask the first Christians, the first century Christians, um, how do you find a small gate? They would have a specific answer for you. You know how I know this? Because we have their writings. 
We have them. Um, I've talked about this several times. There's a book called the Didache. It's a first century church manual for how to be a Christian and do church in the first century. It's not very long. It's rather short. Um, And we have it. It's from the very first century. um, And it was likely known and read by the apostles. And the the, the, most of the writings in it are the direct words of Jesus that we find today. And at the very beginning, you open up to page one of the Didache. Chapter one, verse one of the first century church manual. Have you? Here's how it starts. Two ways there are. One of life and one of death. But there is a great difference between the two ways. And you know what it does after that? I didn't put it all up here because I want you to read it yourself, but It goes on to summarize the Sermon on the Mount. Every single point. The ways of life is loving your enemy, turning the other cheek, being generous, uh, not being prideful in your giving, give in secret, pray, be open-handed, serve those who don't serve you. It goes on and on and on about how to live your life. And All of it is the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. The entire thing that we've just been studying for the last 30, 40 weeks. So if you were to ask the first century Christians, um, what does it mean to find a small gate? You know what they're not going to tell you? They're not going to tell you, here, read this track and pray a prayer. They're going to point to the teachings of Christ and say, put your faith in this. By faith, it's the word pistis, which means allegiance. It requires much more than belief and understanding. It is, it is alignment with. And live by the teachings of Christ. Um, this is what they would say. And they would say, you know what? Not a lot of people, not a lot of people are going to find it, just like Jesus said. A lo- most people are not, gonna, are not going to find it. And we know this. The... Um, something you may not know, in the, in the first century when the book of Rome was written, there were around a hundred Christians in the entire city of Rome. Around a hundred. That's all. We know where they lived. We know the difficult lives that they lived. We know what most of their names were. We know who led their house churches. We know what it was like. It was difficult. You have no idea how difficult it was. Most of them died young. And they carried on despite the suffering that they went through. Um, And so this is the first warning. Jesus finishes, he does this incredible teaching that Christians have studied since the first century. and, and, And then he says, and I have three warnings for you. Warning number one, this is going to be hard and most people are not gonna do it. Most people are not gonna do it. In fact, few people will really, really commit themselves to this. But those who do will find a small gate because it doesn't need to be bigger because not a lot of people are going through it. But they're going to find life. And then, um, here, I'm going to back up here and put this slide up. Then we come to, this, to the next part. So let me read this. First warning. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. Warning number two. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves, and by their fruit you will recognize them. So hold on, let's back up. So he talks about uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, Ancient shepherds in the Middle East, um, 
You can't see it, but this guy's actually wearing Crocs. That's a new picture, not an old one. They didn't have cameras back then. Um, and uh, so there's two things going on here. Um, first off, he calls them false prophets. Um, prophets had, okay, so like today, you can look around society and you can tell what people do by their uniform. If somebody's at Starbucks and they're scrubs, you assume that they're a doctor. I've always wanted to get a pair of scrubs and just kind of wear them around. Um, somebody's wearing a collar, you can usually assume they're clergy. Not all clergy wear collars. Um, and if, uh, if somebody's wearing like a you know, police uniform, they're police, military, all this. You can tell who's what by what they're wearing. And in the first century, it was not actually that much different. Um, The prophets had a specific wardrobe. The prophets had what's called the prophet's mantle. It was usually, it could be any animal, but it was usually made of of camel because Elijah was the first one to do this. He took the skin of a camel and put it over himself, camel hair side out so everyone could see it. And it was called the mantle and he would wear it. Um, and so a lot of times if you just run a quick Bible search for the word mantle, you're going to see all these references to Elijah's mantle and these other prophets who would wear, um, who would put on the mantle, but who weren't really prophets, false prophets. Now, the shepherds also had a, had a uniform. Um, I almost called it a costume. It's a uniform. Um, and it consisted of a mantle, but it was, it was sheepskin. So they would take the sheepskin from the sheep. Um, and if you were on duty, if you were the shepherd leading at the time, you would flip it outward so the wool was on the outside and people could look at a field. Um, there's about one or two shepherds per hundred sheep. If you have a field and there's 200 sheep, there's going to be four shepherds scattered on the corners. And you're like, what are, these sheep, what are these sheep doing on my property? Get them off my property. How are you going to know who to talk to? You're going to look for the guy with the mantle turned out. Okay, so they're on at the moment. They're organized and they run in shifts. So you're going to look at the guy with the sheep's the sheep's clothing, the sheep cloth facing out. So Jesus has two things going on. He's referencing sort of the, the false prophets that would arise, that would put on the mantle that had no reason to put it on. They were there for personal gain. But he kind of says, false prophets will come like um, wolves in sheep's clothing, like a wolf wearing the sheep garment. You imagine somebody in a field sort of standing up, putting on, nobody's looking, they put on the sheep cloth, and maybe the sheep were even trained to follow this. I have no idea. Um, And they would lead a bunch of sheep away for personal gain. And Jesus says, people will come. First off, first off, it's going to be difficult, and not a lot of people are going to do it. Second, there's going to be be people that will come in and lie to you for personal gain. They will be trying to make money, to get fame, whatever. They will do this. They will stand up. They will put on the uniform. They will look exactly like real Leaders sent by God to lead the people, they don't care about you. They're wolves. They're going to devour you and take everything that you have. And usually, um, this affects the most impoverished, the most uneducated, the lowest of the low in, in society, um, tend to be easy targets for like televangelists and just people taking advantage in the name of Jesus, take the name of Jesus and claim it and do whatever. Um, so, uh, Jesus offers them some advice. He says, you know, first warning, it's going to be hard. Not a lot of people are going to do it. Second warning, there's going to be liars that are going to come in and lead people astray, lead people right off of the path. Um, and, and here's what I want you to do. So then we come here. Verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. Hold on. Um, in the Old Testament, there were specific ways in which you would recognize Old Testament, uh, I'm sorry, false prophets. Um, you would write down everything that they said, and if they said things were going to happen, 
and those things didn't happen, you knew they were a false prophet. So you would know them by whether or not their work was right. Right? So whether or not they were successful prophets. So this, is how, this tends to be today how we judge what's going on in, uh, in the world around us, in the spiritual realm. We judge churches and all this by whether or not they're successful, whether or not they grow, whether or not people are there and gathering and there's butts in the pews. That's how we judge things. Or whether or not people have a lot of followers or they're making money or their book sells a lot or whatever. Um, we judge whether or not people in the spiritual world are right by what they accomplish, which is how the Old Testament people did it. Jesus offers something different. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorns, from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. What Jesus is getting at here... um, is that it's, it's in the ordinary moments of life that we can determine false teachers. Are they joyful? Are they forgiving? Are they merciful? Are they overbearing? Are they liars? Um, are they abusive emotionally, sexually? Are they, um, are they greedy? Are they selfish? Are they drunkards? Are they, are they womanizers? Are they promise breakers? All of the ways, all the things that you know lead to destruction. You know they do. These things will all destroy your life and your community. Yet we tend to look at people and say, yeah, but look what they've done. Look what they've built. No. Look at their life. The, the truth of whether or not someone is, is a false teacher, leading people astray, all of that, is in the fruit of their life. Some people are very, very well-educated, far beyond their level of obedience. That's a red flag. It's, it's a huge red flag. Um, it shows that they don't grasp, really, the things of Christ. And so Jesus says, this is how you will know. In their ordinary and day-to-day lives, are they loving? Are they sincere? All of that. Then you come to the next part. Jesus stacks on top of this. So hold on. The, the first warning, it will be hard. Not a lot of people will be able to do it. Number two, there will be people leading you astray. Instead of looking at the fruits of their work, look at the fruits of their life. Number three, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. So, rule number three. Warning number three. A lot of people, yes, they'll be led away by false teachers, but others will deceive themselves. They'll just deceive themselves. Um, psychological, psychological studies have shown um, that if you have something that you believe, no matter how much evidence people pile against you, like facts and science-based facts, if, if someone steps in and says, yeah, but here's a shadow of doubt, 
you will throw all those facts out the window and retain what you have because someone was able to cast just a little shadow of doubt upon the whole mountain of evidence. We are very good at deceiving ourselves about what is real and what is not real. Very, very good at it. Um, the third warning is not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So, um, Lord, Lord, um, a Lord is, is, you would think of an ancient Roman household. We've talked about this. Um, you live under the paterfamilia. He basically owns you. He decides how you spend your time, decides the, morality, the moral system by which you will live, um, writes the rules that govern your life because he owes, you are owned by him. Okay? This is what a Lord is. All of the early Christians in the first century, the vast majority of them were slaves. This was the normal life that they lived. They could not imagine a world where slaves did not exist. And this is, this is how they... So saying this to somebody, they would understand this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. The kingdom... We've talked about this as well. Um, the kingdom is when you're in that place where you are right with God, you're right with people. Things are as they should be. Shalom. Things are in your life. You're living um, for the things of God. We are citizens of a kingdom that is around the world. Um, there are Christians, followers of Jesus in every um, continent, in most cities on earth. They are kinsmen, fellow citizens with us of this kingdom that we are a part of that is not yet here, but it's here, but it's not yet here. We're working towards it, all right? And, uh, and so we are actively bringing the kingdom of God into this world through living by the teachings of Christ, following things like the Sermon on the Mount. Um, this is what it means to enter into the kingdom. Not everyone, according to Jesus, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one, pay attention, only the one who, what, does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I mean, I know we're Protestants, and we like to reject works. I would highly, I would highly recommend that you just be silent about that and think about the things that Jesus is saying. Don't pit Paul, uh, Jesus against Paul. Don't do that. Faith requires aligning yourself with something. Over and over again, Jesus says, if you don't forgive people, how can you expect me to forgive you? If you deny me, how can you expect me to not deny you? Over and over and over again, there is this reminder that like, no, there, there will come a day where you will be judged by the things that you've done. Scriptures say this, are abundantly clear about this. We just like to, nah, I, I understand Jesus. I have a knowledge of Jesus. I know lots of biblical scholars who live terrible lives. I know them. They're struggling. They know it all. There's nothing you can tell them. Because Jesus is not found in thinking. Jesus is found in following and doing. That's how your faith grows. Um, only the one who does the will of God. The first century church, they would have told you this. They understood this, and they did it. When Jesus says, I never, uh, they, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Uh, first century rabbis, this was a rebuke that they had for their students when they were basically kicking them out of the synagogue. So you picture, um, you picture a student maybe unaware that the rabbi is there, and he's just being selfish and being arrogant and treating somebody bad and saying, but I have a right to do this because I'm, I'm up here in society, and you are down here, and I'm highly educated. And so, and you insult them, you degrade them, and then the rabbi sees you, and the rabbi looks at you, knowing the rabbi didn't teach you to act like this. 
And the rabbi looks at you and says, depart from me. I never knew you. We have lots of records of rabbis speaking like this to their people. Jesus takes this language. Jesus was a first century Palestinian Jewish rabbi. And he speaks like this to his people. There will be people who will stand before me and say, look at all these great things I've done in your name. I built these huge things, empires, churches, blah, blah, blah. He says, yeah, but I'm not judging based on the things that you've done. I mean, I built all of it. You're just borrowing my stuff. I'm not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not judging based upon your accomplishments. I'm judging based on your fruit of your life. You're a hateful person. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how much you've accomplished. I don't care if you're the leader of the free world. If you're not a loving person, you're not with me. Over and over and over again, Jesus is saying this. Three warnings. This is going to be hard. Not everyone's going to do it. A lot of people will attempt to lead you astray and pull you off that path. And a lot of people will deceive themselves and think that somehow they're doing something when they're not. So, um, it's a quote by New Testament scholar Scott McKnight. The small gate is not just a mild association with Jesus or some kind of general affiliation, which is what most, most of us have understood it to be at some point, but a radical commitment to Jesus as the one who is king and Lord and who shapes all of life for us. Lord and king is not just this philosophical idea. It's living in this way. Our constitution, our bill of rights, is not in some safe somewhere in Washington, D.C. It's Matthew 5 through 7. This is how we are to live. This is how we are to dwell in this world. You are, you and I, all of us are at every moment at a crossroad. Um, every decision we make this evening, just when you decide how you spend your time, um, will you spend your evening, uh, this is your choice. Which path are you going to choose? Um, you can spend your evening in excess, and that could be anything from binge-watching media to substance abuse to how you treat uh, other human beings sexually. Just excess. Um, which is what most people are going to do today, this afternoon. Some form of excess they are going to practice, even if it's just shopping. Or you can spend your, your time in ways that fill you up, that nourish you, that, that serve the people around you, turn some stuff off, have some serious conversations, encouragement, spend some time with people who have no one to spend time with. There are ways, there are choices to be made Every moment of the day, you are at a crossroads right now, how you're going to respond to the scriptures. Um, you, when you go shopping, everything that you buy, you're at a crossroads. Are you going to take the wide path that everyone's going to take? Are you going to get the, the $5 shirt, um, no matter how much injustice has been done to give that to you? Or are you going to be generous with your money? Are you going to um, maybe take part in just things? At least bother to think. Are you going to live in excess and just waste everything, spend all, all of your income, all the treasure that you receive, just waste it all in, on whatever thing you've decided you need this week? Or are you, going to, are, you, are you going to spend all of these things in ways that most people are not, ways that lead to life and not the same destruction that everyone else is, is running towards for no reason? It doesn't bring happiness in life. What brings happiness in life is when Jesus is Lord and you understand living for other people, pouring yourself out, being um, a light in a dark world, in a dark community, and pouring yourself out for people. 
every moment. And in every moment, you must remember, there are three warnings. What you would like to do, not everyone's going to do it. It's going to be very hard. Sometimes just knowing it's hard is really helpful. I've been saying this all week. This has been po- popping up. Me and my wife having these conversations like, That's, it's so hard to do that. And now we're like reminding each other, yeah, but it's the narrow path. There's a small gate at the end. Not everyone's going to do this, but we need to because there's life there. I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. I want life. I don't want broken things. I've got enough broken things. I'm trying to get rid of broken things. I'm trying to find li- like life. And reminding ourselves, not everyone is going to be able to make the right choice. Most of you will not be able to make the right choice. And you will continue the pattern of brokenness. Um, also, second warning, people are going to come along and kind of lead you off of that path. Stay awake. Look at their life. What have they built? Are they, are they the person you want to be? It's kind of interesting. You, like, you look around and when somebody does something that's bizarre right in front of you, it's angry and it's hateful and they're screaming and yelling in public and you kind of look at them and you're like, what are you doing? Do, do you, is this how you think people should act? Is this how you think, do you want everyone to act like you? Is this what we want to build? It, it's hard to build the good things, the living, good, holy, merciful, gracious, beautiful things. Um, and then the third warning is simple, don't deceive yourself. Don't do it. Make sure your heart is open to change and repentance, admitting you're wrong. Can you admit you're wrong? Can you admit the thing that you did last week, the week before, the week before? Can you admit that it was the wrong thing to do? Or are you going to stand there and deceive yourself and defend yourself? No. It's, I mean, you know if you keep going down that path, it leads to destruction. Play the tape forward. It leads to destruction. Can you admit it? you were wrong? Um... So next week we wrap up this whole thing and Jesus has one more sort of postscript ending on this whole thing, a little story to take with us. And then you get into the actions of Christ. I hope somehow um, you have awakened with a, a bigger awareness of, of what the Christian life looks like when it's lived out. And maybe you've made some adjustments along the way. I hope you have. Um, we're going to take some time in communion. Our communion servers, you guys can go ahead and take the elements and spread around the room. Um, there's two elements. There's bread and there's wine. The bread is... Represents the body of Christ broken for you. The wine represents the blood of Christ spilled for you. This is how the Christian life is supposed to be lived. It's difficult. It's hard. Jesus has made a way. He's, he's led the way to show you how it's done. So we're going to spend some time in prayer and uh, take communion, and we're going to close out with one more song. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Guide us into our afternoons and into our evening and into our week. Remind us every moment we are at the crossroads. Remind us of the decisions to make. Remind us that the harder thing to do is likely the better thing. Remind us that um, following you is not going to be easy. Remind us to pay attention to people's, the fruit in people's life. Not to be led astray by the, the enticing words that people speak with. Be with us, Father. Thank you. In your name. Amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.